0: Hello, Los Angeles and worldwide audience. This is KKLA 99.5, and this is the Apologetics.com radio show. This is actually not pre-recorded, so disregard that if you heard that earlier. This is live, live Saturday, technically, uh, November 11th, 2023. And we here at Apologetics.com are challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe, We are 100% listener-supported, so if you are moved in any way to donate, or if you are so inclined, or if you've profited at all by our ministry, feel free to pray for us always, but if you can monetarily support us, do that, send us an email, you can always send us uh, show ideas, so on and so forth. And what we've been doing for 9 to 30 years, it feels like, but for a very long time, is this is a lay operation, meaning these are non-professional, non-paid, non-staff positions, lay in the classical sense, um, meaning not uh, not clerical, not officially a church. So, although I, Daniel Adrian, am blessed to be a deacon at the Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California, and I'll be walking through a very weighty topic with you yet again. And once again, all on my own, I will get a guest in here uh, <laughs> one day, Lord willing, uh, or on the line. We're working on that. And if you have uh, guest suggestions, uh, that's always good to know as well. But uh, I am blessed to be a deacon in that church. Uh, I've been blessed to be there for years and... I'm hoping to continue to be there. Pastor Paul Viggiano, who has a show on the Lord's Day, this is what we commonly call Sunday, here on KKLA, he's the pastor there. He has Q&A almost every week where you can ask him questions after the sermon. That's during the adult Sabbath school hour or Sunday school hour. We always want you to join us, come and worship with us. We want you to engage with us, bring your questions. And in light of that, we want you to bring your questions today. Uh, We would love for this morning for you to call us at 888-995-5552, 5552. 5552. Uh, We would love for you to call us and talk about whatever it is you'd like to. We're going to be talking about culture today, and I'm leaning towards a provocatively titled culture warrior versus culture builder, sort of the thesis for what we'll be exploring together tonight, today, Lord willing, but... What I want you to do is call with anything, hopefully first and foremost, related to the show, but any questions you might have, anything I can be of service, be useful uh, in the hands of our Lord to talk to you about on the line at 888-995-5552, which is KKLA on your touchpad. So we would love to hear from you uh, if you have anything that you would like to talk about, any comments, concerns, burning questions, and I'll do my best with the help of the Holy Ghost and depending utterly on God's grace to give you a good answer and to talk to you about that. And in light of giving a good answer, let's look at the text that I bring up. It feels like every show. uh, It is in fact the, the text that I think most people associate with scriptural apologetics. You you might think I was going to go to second Peter and Lord willing, we will talk about that, but I want to actually take you to second Timothy chapter 3 instead so if you have your copies of god god's word please turn in that copy to 2nd Timothy chapter 3 and we'll read verse 16 through 17 which is the end of the chapter together here now the word of the lord all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here now the word of the Lord, or thus far the reading of God's holy word. So perfected, perf- perfectly furnished unto all good works. Now what would that have to do with culture? Well, first, I think the word culture... Is confusing. And I'm going to illustrate that confusion, Lord willing, by showing you the top two Google uh, definitions, which they tell me are dependent on Oxford languages. I like to use Oxford. But uh, the first definition is culture, the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. And there the answer, the the synonyms would be similar to the arts or the humanities. So when you think of someone as being a cultured person or high culture versus low culture, which has very judgy overtones to some people, or just the idea of mass culture or popular culture. A lot of times we can think about culture like that. But now look at definition two with me in your Google machine. Culture two the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. So what you see here is a very wide and expansive view of culture. And the reason why I'm bringing up culture right now, the reason why we're talking about culture together, and why I want you to engage, pun intended, on this topic of culture, is because what is dominating the airwaves right now what do we hear about even in some of the programming i was blessed to listen to on the way in and, and sitting here and preparing and praying over this show and what would be said what what is kind of dominating civil discourse the conversation of the nation the national conversation a lot of it is what has been called, it was dubbed this uh, during the rise of the moral majorities when this was popularized, so sort of the Reagan rights and things like this, what's known as fusionism in, in conservative intellectual history. So this idea that we're going to try to capture the evangelical, the Christian vote, get them out to vote for the GOP, for the Republican Party. They, they're this. As near as I can tell, this became the popularization of what's known as The culture war or culture wars. And in a recent debate, very provocatively, one of the participants in the GOP debate debate said that we are in a cold civil war. Now, how would we, first of all, I think that's very astute. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that formulation. Another program uh, under our banner, headed up by my able comrades on a different occasion, they mentioned this same quote and they, they saw some truth in it. And I tend to agree, but how do you get to a cold civil war? I mean, thank God, it's by God's grace alone. It's not a shooting war, right? It's not a hot war, but how would you get to a cold civil war? And I would put before you the idea that we should think about together i would like you for your consideration to to kind of mull over turn over in your mind whether or not this is kind of the end results of all of this culture warring and culture warrioring we've been doing so but but let's look back circle back to those definitions I I don't think these definitions are particularly helpful. I think what we should do, as what I try to put forward whenever I'm on the radio, I'm blessed to be here and to do this show, whenever I'm in a a public-facing capacity, I'm communicating to my dear brothers and sisters and my friends over the airwaves or in any other capacity, I try to labor this point that we need to define things using the Bible. We need our, the Bible is our dictionary in a real sense. And what I mean by that is not that you can go to the Bible and look up every word and it'll function like a dictionary, not this wooden idea, but the idea is that the definition I'm concerned with of any word or any concept, indeed, is what God gives us. And so what I would say, and you feel free to disagree and engage with me, 888 995 352 KKLA. I would, in, I would encourage you to, to lay hold of an idea that what culture is is everything that's an output, so everything that human beings do that you can actually lay hold of, that you can either read or look at or hear or touch. So it's this product or output, so I think to illustrate the physicality, the material reality of this, the fact that it exists in the real world, I want to back up and talk about, so what about the culture of the intellect, intellectual culture, the culture of ideas, which we talked about the last time I was blessed to be with you, and I'm going to connect, Lord willing, this show to that show. So just like that show, I talked about philosophy, and I talked about how philosophy, which is... Usually theology masquerading as a different name, Uh, or it's utterly dependent on theology in all cases, whether it is masquerading as it or not. (laughs) But what philosophy does is sort of permeates everything. And what you'll notice is I'm kind of saying something similar about culture. So that's the connecting point between this episode and the previous episode. I believe it was the last episode I did. It might have been two episodes ago. Uh, which has philosophy in the title. talks about Christ as the ultimate, the preeminent, the perfect philosopher. So Christ is our standard for wisdom. He is wisdom. We are to love him. Uh, So we're to be a lover of wisdom. There's philosophia, philo or philo. That's love. Sophia, wisdom. That's my niece's middle name. Shout out to her. Beautiful middle name, beautiful first name for a lot of people as well, but wisdom, lovers of wisdom. And so wisdom permeates everything, internal world, external world, spiritual reality, physical reality, which is not, you know, this harshly separated reality, right? We are bodies with souls, with spirits. So we're physical and spiritual at the same time, and that's how we work in the world. But we're going to take these internal products, these spiritual, mental, emotional products that are internal to us, inside of us, and then we're going to make something in the outside world. So if it's an idea, we're going to write it down. Or, like right now, I'm communicating a whole host of ideas, hopefully clearly, to you right now, because I'm speaking them forth to you, and you're hearing them. You're So this is not something that's remained internal to myself. So culture is a little bit more restricted, but not by a whole bunch, right? Because, you know, you can argue that ideas precede everything that's going to happen, right? I have to have a plan, a mental plan before I can make a table. That's a cultural product. That's an output, right? That's something that becomes real in physical space and time. But the plan according to which I went about assembling or building that table, constructing, making that table was first in my mind, was first in my spirit, was first mental, immaterial, inside, non-physical. So culture, I'd say, is when you get the table. Or even if it's a sketch, right? If we can talk about architectural plans, that's culture. But see, what I'm hopefully driving home is culture is a lot. It's a lot. It's kind of everything that humans do, everything that humans think about and then share everything that humans say to other people. If you're talking to yourself or you're having an internal monologue or dialogue with yourself, which is you know, not that you're crazy, but that you're talking to yourself and no one's listening. It's not for public consumption. At that point, it's I would say it's difficult to argue that that's culture. So once you have this idea of a culture, so why would you have a culture war? Well, what culture war, have you ever heard boy are we sick of this some of us who don't want life to be reduced to quote unquote politics but have you ever heard that everything is political and don't you just find that we're turning everything into a political battle for example the biological reality of men versus women that's now a political fight this is absurd right we're now arguing are we gonna argue that one is two and two is three what are we doing all of these things started as ideas, by the way, just to reinforce what I was saying earlier, but this is the culture war. And if you think about every major piece of legislation that's gotten any traction, that's gotten any heat, gotten any attention in the zeitgeist, in the in the political mass consciousness, it's one of these culture war issues. These debates that are going on, ugh, however, <laughs> however helpful or not they may be, but these, what do I mean? I heard someone refer to it as kind of Twitter come to life or X come to life. They're live Xing, which formerly was tweeting to one another, is kind of what the culture of debate is. I prefer a formal Oxford style debate, which means we take everybody's opinion on whatever we're debating beforehand. So you tell me whether you're in favor of A or you're against A, A being what we're debating. And then at the end, you tell me, everybody says where they're at now. Did they change their minds, you know, and the more detail, the better. And so we can actually track whether we accomplished anything. This is what I think debate should be. I, someone told me, I always forget, but it's some incredible amount of it, someone. I I've, I've, keep reading this and forgetting. Forgive me for not looking it up before the show. But the Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln debates, seven to 12 hours in a row. Probably limited to no breaks, somewhere in between there, seven, eight, nine, hours and hours and hours. We don't have the attention span for, you know, TikTok videos, some of us, Uh, or uh, shorts on YouTube. Not, not, uh, Not saying that you should have either of those or use your time that way, but if you do... You know, we all know we're in this crisis of attention. And also, by the way, everything I'm talking about is a cultural product yet again. We're still talking about culture. So when I go back to God's word, why would I be talking about it? If you remember, perfectly furnished, throughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So utterly sufficiently equipped for all good works. All those good works are going to be cultural, Or not all, because there will be some that are internal and remain inside of oneself. But So it's even beyond that. But certainly it includes everything that's going to be externalized, everything that's going to be physicalized, realized in the material world of space and time. Every painting, every movie, every, just imagine it, every debate, every thought, like I said, that's written down or verbalized. We have been perfectly equipped for these things. And who did it? Who equipped us for these things? Who furnished us unto for all of these good works? Well, of course, it's by the inspiration of God, Theopneustos, or Theopnustos, depending on your preferred way of pronouncing Greek. Theo, or Theo, is God, and then Pneustos is breathed out. It's breathed out by God. It's inspired, that's the old word for breathed out. It sounds like we don't use expired, I know, confusing, but expired, we usually associate with negative things, but inspired, the, the scripture that's given by the breathing out of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. For, to what end? That the man of God may be perfect, that means complete, and then perfectly, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So you're incomplete if you don't have the scriptures. And you can't do these things that you're commanded to do and that you must do, which is you must have doctrine, which is teaching. You must be able to reprove and correct. So you must be able to confront that which is wrong Right. And refute it. You must show that which is wrong to be wrong and then offer that which is right in its place to correct, to restore, to revive a truth in the place of a falsehood and that's in the sense of correction. So what is that? What does the world call that? The world calls that critique especially in the academic literature. And so what I'm actually putting forward is we should have the cultural critique. The only culture of critique, which is a very controversial notion, but the only true culture of critique should be a biblical Christian culture of critique in the sense of we're reproving and we're correcting these things, bringing them into line with God's perfect and holy standard of righteousness. Now, where do we find that standard of righteousness? First two words of the verse, all Scripture. How do we know? Because it's given by the perfect, holy, and righteous God. Those are the next words. Is given, and that is there is to help you understand, is given by inspiration of God. So it's God's Word. This is the standard. This doesn't mean that you don't know things apart from the Word of God, uh, meaning like you only know that which is written down in Scripture and nothing else. So my name is not written down in Scripture. I know my name. (laughs) Uh, I know that might sound silly to some of you. Some of you are familiar with my shows uh, and my episodes and my paneling, my guesting. So you know that I like to use this example. I like to bring it up. I want people to understand that I'm not denying that unbelievers, for example, don't know things or that confused Christians who think that knowledge is authoritative, final standard bearing knowledge is kind of coming to them and being set up in opposition or in rivalry to the text. What I mean by the text, the Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, Not no deuterocanon. canon, sorry, Roman Catholics, no extra books, no lost books, but a complete, full, perfect, done canon. And this is why this verse is where I wanted to start, because all of these good works— are flowing from an orthodox, a biblical, a true, a right, by God's grace alone, understanding of the scriptures. If you want to talk about this and anything else, our number still is 888-995-5552. That's KKLA on the touchpad 5552. And we are apologetics.com, still challenging believers to think and thinkers to believe after all these years. Blessed to be here. I've been a part of the show since roughly 2012. And I care about culture. Why do I care about culture? Why couldn't why some people will some people have literally said, and you know, to H, because I know that might offend some people, with the culture. To to the pit, to the abyss with the culture. Or that the culture belongs to the devil. It's a very popular idea. You'll hear it on the radio. You may hear it on this very station. Or that the culture has gone the way of the devilish route. It's gone demonic. And certainly there are demonic things in the culture. Certainly the devil exercises way too much power in the culture that we don't want to see. But why? And is that the way that God has designed his world? Has God designed his world to be a devilish, demon-haunted, demon-ruled world? I would say that no basic reading of the Bible, no clear reading of the Bible, beginning in Genesis all the way to Revelation and throughout can really support this view that the world is the devil's world. Rather instead that we see that the earth and the fullness thereof is the Lord's, is Jehovah's, which is God's covenantal name. yod Vavhe, vav Y-H-V-H, Yehovah, Yehovah. Jehovah is his name. That's his covenant name. That's I am that I am. That's who the world belongs to. And that's one God only. That's only one God. The Lord God, uh, the Lord our God, is one. And that one God is Father, Son, and Spirit, eternally existing. The eternally existing three in one, which is triune or Trinitarian God of the Bible. That's the only God we're talking about here. That's who the world belongs to. The God of the Bible has never said, I'm going to give up control of my world. Now, obviously the devil is doing what he's doing, but that's all under the sovereign control of God. And this may sound absolutely horrifying to some of my audience, to maybe to the majority of who's listening to me right now. And I want to be sensitive to that. I want to be loving towards that aversion. But I would actually encourage you to really think about how victorious and how Peacemaking and and tr- tranquilizing—that's <laughs> uh, not the right word. How it grants God-given peace and tranquility. Tranquilizing sounds like it's drugging you. Uh, it is early. Sorry about that, but you're given you're given this equanimity, this calm, if you know that God is absolutely in control. That God is in control. We say that. I said that. I said it before I believed it fully. When I became a Christian by God's grace alone, I said often, yes, God is in control. We'll sing it. There are songs dedicated to this. When you sing the Psalms, you sing about God's sovereignty, his absolute rule over all things. But I like to show people not only, I mean, how many texts would take, it would take many shows to go through all the texts that demonstrate that God and God alone is in control, but we can also think about it in this way, right? What, what God has created, and that, of course, is everything, he has ownership over. And so this is why I framed it in the idea of, did he ever cede control or sovereignty to the devil or to the demons or to unbelievers? And I would defy you to show me where he did that. Uh, and I would also defy you to say how that squares with the rest of the clear and manifest testimony of scripture, which is that God is ruling and reigning that in the person of the son, Jesus Christ, he's ruling and reigning right now. In fact, right. The, one of the grand themes of the entire new Testament is that Jesus ascended to his father's right, right hand, excuse me, ascended to his father's right hand, sat down on the throne and is now presently in session as the old word or sessio, even older Latin, which is he's presently ruling and reigning over all things. When we read about his kingship, Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, it's a present kingship. And we're going to talk about Matthew 28, which is another verse I often talk about. Uh, We'll do that. We'll also talk about the dominion mandate, which is also known as the creation mandate. And an older formulation of this is the cultural mandate. So remember we talked about all these good works uh, and that we're thoroughly and perfectly furnished for them. We spoke of that earlier, and that's great, right? But what does that mean in the context of culture, In in the context of creating a culture and not just being a culture warrior? Because that's part of the thesis, right? What I don't mean by not being a culture warrior is that you abandon the field. So let's get that out of the way. I hear myself and I say, wait, I don't want to be understood, which in this case would be misunderstood, to say, as I'm speaking to you, beloved listener, dear listener, that this is an abandonment of the field of battle. That we are, just like I said, we never cede territory to the enemy. God doesn't do that. Well, we're to be godly. We're to be, we are in his image and likeness. We are his image bearers. We bear his image and likeness. That's how he made us. So how absurd would it be for me to say that he never cedes any territory. He never cedes any dominion, any authority, any rule, any sovereignty, any control. And then I say, but we can do that. And so as we're approaching a break, let me just read this text to set the stage. I may read it again when we come back. Genesis 1, verse 27, Here now the word of God. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Here now or thus far the reading of God's word. That, to me, as the music starts to play, is incredibly encouraging, and those all sound like good works. So let's talk about how the Word of God equips us to do that and what it means to have a cultural mandate. Why we must create culture that is under Christ, for Christ, and to the praise and glory of Christ alone. Thanks for listening to Apologetics.com. See you on the other side of the break. All right, welcome back to Apologetics.com's radio show. The Apologetics.com radio show brought to you by Apologetics.com. 100% listener supported and funded. Once again, if you are moved to donate, please do so. We thank you for it. Uh, We are not doing this for profit. I mentioned in the first segment No one is paid. It's all volunteer. I'd love to have a staff apologist. If someone wants to fund that, let's go. But (laughs) uh, I don't know if you were listening to the commercials, but our founder and fearless leader slash president had a great uh, kind of call to what it means to be an apologist and to listen to the show weekly. And one of the, to me, one of the basic and... Long running, I would say, from the very inception of this show, is that we're not professionals. We're not paid. We're not. Uh, we're not celebrities, and I don't mean that in a mean way. But we're not famous. Maybe some of us are infamous. Looking at myself in the mirror here, <laughs> but rather we are dedicated to doing the work of the church as churchmen. And one of our one of our panelists slash hosts. I guess he hosts more than panels. John Noyes, who's a pastor, wonderful man, uh, been very helpful to apologetics.com, to me, uh, to many of us. He said it very well, which is that everyone in the church is a churchman. Every man in the church is a churchman. So every woman in the church is a churchwoman. You get the idea. Meaning that You're a church person. You're in the church, and therefore you're a part of the church. You're a member of the church. And what is the church? It is the mystical body of Jesus Christ. You're a member of the mystical body of Jesus Christ. That word mystical, we don't have a really good new updated 2023 word for that. That's an old word. It's getting at the fact that we're not confusing the spiritual reality of the Christian church being Christ's body with his physical body. This was a big fight, right? We had a huge war, uh, a culture war within the church this time over what it means for Christ's body to be physical and for Christ to have a spiritual body, as the text talks about, and then for the church to be this mystical or spiritual body in this image of us— as individual members being built up, being joined to, and being built up into perfection in Him, that's what we're doing as we are culture building. Remember, as I, as we ran up against the break and moving fast, what did I do? Well, one, and I'm going to do it again. I encourage you to call if you if you're so led to 888 to call us at 888 995 5552 That's K K L A touchpad on your touchpad five 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 two. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you. The booth would love to hear from you. I know Uh, we'd love to take your call, but if not, I will move on and press on to, to try to bring home to you and just utterly relying on the Lord to actually bring it home to you, but to be used as an instrument to bring home to you. Why, why would we be, why did I make an appeal for us to be culture makers to create culture, to be culture builders. Why would I do that? Why would I say that? Let me read what I read going into the break one more time. And again, in your copies of God's Word, if you have them, Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, hear now the word of the Lord. There, I finally said it instead of repeating. (laughs) Hear now the word of the Lord. But here, so what is God saying? And first of all, what is the extent of that dominion, of that subduing the earth? It's subduing the entirety of the earth. And that would be the entirety of the created order. I think this mission pushes forward into the cosmos as we talk, or cosmos, or cosmos as we talk about it today in 2023. It pushes out into space, but it's certainly at least at the very least, at the minimum, the created order in its entirety here on earth. And I would argue if it's the created order in its entirety here on earth, why wouldn't it be the created order at full stop? But that aside for the moment. So that's comprehensive. It doesn't get more expansive or exhaustive or that's, that's complete, right? That's the extent of what we're to do. Are we doing that? I look at myself, I challenge myself. I I you know, I need to examine my own life. Am I living my life in such a way that this is the mission, this is the goal that the earth would be filled and subdued, ruled over by Christians in a godly way, for God, in obedience to God. It's not a lording over. The whole text, people will say horrible things about the old testament often and even in the church god forbid but they'll say things like well it's a new testament ethic or it's a new testament idea that we're not to lord over one another well this is not true and lording over one another in the in the king james english and the older english is is how you would think about it when you hear it said negatively negatively excuse me or when you talk about it with a boss right oh my boss is lording over me you're not saying that in a positive way I'm not saying he's exercising righteous rule over me, which could be lording uh, in its absolute sense, right? But no, what the text is saying is you're to be a servant leader Is very, has become very popular. I think sometimes to the detriment of the clarity of the teaching in the sense of servant gets overemphasized. This is the, the classic trap. Right? We fall into this every which way in our frailty, utterly dependent on the Spirit of God. We have to give equal weight to servant— part of leadership and the leader part of servant leadership you still have to lead jesus led he led his disciples and he served them there's no contradiction there that's the model of servant that's the perfect preeminent ultimate model of servant leadership right he led those people who followed him right they followed him as their leader he was their master rabbi is not just teacher it's master right when they call him rabbi or Rabboni in some cases, what do we see? We see then that he was a leader, but how did he lead? He washed the feet of his servants, of his followers. So he served his servants. He served those who served him. This is the model. There's no contradiction. There's no tension. I can exert power in my home as a a patriarch, as a leader in the home, as a Father, Lord willing, someday, but as a son uh, in the righteous relation to my mother, uh, to my 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 nieces and nephew, to all of my relations, I can do that and still serve them. And in fact, I can't. I not only can I do that, but by God's grace, I must do that. That's what I have to do, and that's just in the family. And remember, I started on this with the extent of this dominion, this subduing, this filling, it's the entirety of the earth. And then look at the things that the dominion is over, right? Let me remind you, dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. That's the latter half of verse, uh, sorry, verse 28. What am I saying? Or so what's missing there? That's a Hebraism, so that's a, that's a Hebrew way of saying over everything Over all living things So dominion from Christ Goes over all living things And of course when we think about Christ As the ultimate example and model And as perfect in every way In his earthly life This makes sense And I alluded to this in segment one So in the previous segment I talked about Matthew 28 Again I bring up Matthew 28 a lot On this show But I want to connect what he says to his disciples—some of you have this memorized, some of you know exactly where I'm going with this—to what we just read. So people will make this argument, well, Jesus fulfills the dominion mandate. Well, of course he does. I'm not going to argue with that. How could I argue with that? Uh, He fulfills every word, every jot and tittle of Scripture perfectly. But he did not fulfill—I would challenge anyone who says that— and by that meaning that he fulfills it such that we don't have to, that our obligation to be culture makers, dominion takers is eliminated, is fulfilled such that we don't have it anymore. I would challenge them to again, substantiate that prove that from the word of God and my contention. I would, I would humbly put before you that that's not going to happen. So Matthew 28 Starting in verse 16 in your copies of God's word, if you have it, I would encourage you to look at it. Hear now the word of the Lord. Matthew 28, verse 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, or always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. 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 Thus far the reading of God's holy word. So doesn't that just sound like the Dominion Mandate? And doesn't it sound like he's turning the Dominion Mandate, he's New Testamentizing, that's not a real word, but he's he's giving you the New Testament language for the Old Testament reality of the Dominion Mandate, of the cultural mandate, of what we just read about together in Genesis 1, verses 28 through 29. The Dominion Mandate and the Great Commission cannot be torn asunder one from the other. And isn't this just what Jesus does with every single doctrine of the Old Testament, every teaching of the Old Testament? Doesn't he bring it into his earthly ministry and clarify it and make it crystal clear? He he makes it Easily apprehensible, easy to under, easy to be understood, which is pretty funny that I went with easily apprehensible first. Uh, <laughs> irony. He he go, He he makes this thing easy to understand. He adds to the teaching in order to, in the sense of clarifying it. Right. He he doesn't add to the word of God in an unlawful way because he's perfect. He's sinless, and that's a sin to add to the word of God. But rather, he says, "Look, I am God, and I'm telling you His word." And I'm explaining his word. And so this is his explanation, I'm convinced, of what it looks like, what the New Testament reality of the Great Commission, the the New Testament reality that is the Great Commission, what that is in relationship to the cultural slash creation slash dominion mandate. So this call to biblical stewardship, if I'm to be a steward of creation, if I'm to exercise creation care, which is this notion of I'm to be a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to me, which in in Adam is the entirety of the world. So then the last Adam, the second Adam, the perfect Adam, the ultimate Adam, Jesus, the fulfillment of Adam, he, he tells you that he is this, I mean, it's explicit in Romans, read Romans for this if you want. So, so you don't trust me. Don't take my word for it in that sense. Check me with against the word of God. Check everybody you listen to against the word of God always, faithfully and diligently searching the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. What do you see? What do you see when you do that? When you look at the Bible, you see that he is that anti-type. He is that fulfillment of what Adam is in the garden when he's given dominion. And of course, Jesus Christ has what? Go back to verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So go ye therefore. So verse 19 is, go ye therefore. So therefore, because all authority, all power, is given unto me in heaven and in earth, therefore, as a result of that, you go, all of you, and you teach all of the nations, and you make them disciples. You disciple all of the nations. You baptize all of the nations. The nations, those are the peoples, all of the peoples of the world. Again, think of the expansiveness of this commission and the expansiveness of Genesis 1, verses 28 and 29. There is no only Christian nations. Well, first of all, who are the Christian nations? No, it's we're making Christian nations In fulfillment of the Great Commission, we're we're being used instrumentally. The Holy Ghost uses us, the Holy Spirit uses us to Christianize, to disciple, to baptize, spiritually considered, to teach all nations in what? In the name of the Father. So teach all nations and baptize all nations in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them what? What? remember teach teaching them to observe all things whatsoever Jesus commanded the disciples so everything they learned and then he gives you the guarantee he gives you the promise Jesus then gives us all the promise of why this is going to come to fa- to come to pass excuse me this is going to come to pass this is inevitable there's no doubt here, there's no room for questioning that this is going to be the Christian culture that Christ through his church is making. Why? Because he says, And lo, so behold, look at, consider, and lo, I am with you always, always is the old way of saying that, even unto the end of the world, until the end of the age. What's the end of the world? Has the world ended? No may feel like it's ending it may feel like we're closer to the end than the beginning i don't necessarily think that but when we look to this we we know that the end of the world the end of the age the end of the aeon is when it's when christ returns physically to judge the quick and the dead it's the last judgment it's the final day the last day That's the end of everything. That's the end of everything that we think of as the current world order, the current world. That's what ends and resolves everything. And that's why we pray, even if we believe that there may be many long ages of time, long spans of time before Christ returns, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's why we pray that, because we want that end to come in God's perfect timing The parallel to this is if you were an an Old Testament Christian culture maker, right? A biblical Jew, you're making a biblically Jewish culture. You were to be praying for the coming of the Messiah. And you would have prayed, depending on when you were born in the Old Testament, for potentially thousands and thousands of years. But you weren't praying that he comes in thousands of years because you don't know. You certainly don't know in the Old Testament when he's coming, there are signs of his coming. You, you can discern those signs by faith, the, the, the word of God being brought home to your heart by the spirit of God, your mind being illumined or illuminated, light being brought to you about those texts from the spirit of the Lord. Sure. But there's no timing. There's no this is when it happens, uh, except in Daniel. <laughs> uh, the, but the the prophecies of Messiah's coming are not you know, a hundred percent clear, uh, except in Daniel, which we're, we'll talk about another time. So what I'm saying here is similar to the end of the worlds. So the guarantee is all the way to the end of the worlds. And remember, he's saying present tense. He's saying about now, so about way back then and now, because he didn't stop. But thousands of years ago, you know, two thousand some odd years ago, what is he saying? He's saying all authority, all power has been given, is given in heaven and in earth, in all of the earth and all of the heavens, in in all of creation. He has all of the power, all of the authority. So again, what we would ask our pessimistic friends, our pessimistic brothers and sisters is, where does he give that up? Where does he lay that down? Where does he say, I'm going to set aside that? He says he has it there. He doesn't say it will be. The text does not say all power will be given. It's is, or if you want to render it uh, in the grammatical form that's hard to remember, has been, is, present tense, has been, it's there. Now, of course, Jesus is fully God, truly God, fully man, truly man. Verily God, verily man. This We confess this, this is what the scriptures teach. So, as to his divinity, as to Him being God, the second person of the Trinity, he's always had all authority. He's never lacked authority or power. But what he's saying is, in his humanity at that time, 2000 some odd years ago, he has all power, all authority in all of heaven and all of earth. And so, what kind of culture would come from that reality? An anti biblical culture? An anti Christian culture? Is that what we would find? What kind of culture comes from the reality that we considered together in Genesis 1, 28 and one twenty-nine, Chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. What is it? Are we not still Adamic, meaning sons of Adam? You know that Adam means humankind, Adama in Hebrew. That's humankind or mankind. Are we some new thing? We're no longer of Adam. No, of course we're of Adam. That's actually why we need Christ, because we're of the first Adam. Adam is our forefather. Eve is our foremother. They're our first father and our first mother, our first parents. Every single person who has ever existed is descended from Adam and Eve. But for the human nature of Jesus in the sense of he was conceived of, by being overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's a little bit of a little, that's a huge difference. This is the absolute essential necessity of the virgin birth. Always good to think about why we believe in a virgin birth and must believe in a virgin birth and why a religion that doesn't believe in the virgin birth is actually not Christian. So if you read this book that was written a hundred years ago or so, Christianity and Liberalism, the ultimate takeaway is that liberal Christianity is not Christianity. And this is true because of what they deny. Now that doesn't mean that all liberal Christians aren't Christians. Uh, You don't want to say that because one, it's not true. And even if it's true in a particular case, if you're talking to somebody and they don't happen to be a Christian, they probably don't want to hear you say you're not a Christian. Unitarians who deny the Trinity, they don't want to be told that they're not Christians. They don't like it when they're, they're told they're not Christians. So you have to build up to that. You can't just drop the hammer on them. (laughs) Someone referred to it as, you know, pulling out a bazooka from the jump, like from the start of the encounter. We don't want to do that, but we want to build towards this idea of if you, I mean, how do you have a sinless savior uh, apart from a virgin birth? How do you get that, right? If he's born in iniquity and shapen in sin, Conceived in sin, shapen in iniquity, excuse me. Uh, but if he's, in, if, if he's made of the same carnal, wicked stuff, fleshly wickedness, wicked flesh, not good flesh, how then would he be sinless? Everyone born in Adam in that sense is sinful. But so again, who besides the human nature of Jesus escapes this dominion mandate, this cultural mandate? There's nothing in the text when you read about that commission We can call it the cultural commission or the cultural, uh, the creation of culture, (laughs) the creation commission, right? This Genesis 1, 28 and 29, it wasn't given just to the church. It wasn't given only to Christians. But who's going to do it? Who's going to build a biblical culture? So if God says you need to make a culture, you need to do this stuff, you need to exercise dominion, you need to fill the earth and rule over it, subdue it in a godly way, who's going to do that? Are Muslims gonna do that, Mohammedans? Are Jews going to do that, I mean, unbelieving Jews? Are Buddhists going to do that? Are Hindus going to do that? Are pagans of any stripe or kind going to do that? No, of course not, this is absurd. The only people who build a biblical and Christian culture are Christians. And so this is why culture war, sure, you're not, in the sense of we're not shrinking back from the truth and this this is what God says about abortion, which is baby murder, This is what God says about LGBTQ, which is sodomy and other sexual immorality. This is what God's word says about all the hot button, all the controversial issues of the day. This is what God's word has to say about, you know, uh, Israel, the current nation versus Hamas. Right? We bring the word of God to bear on every single culture war topic. We don't shrink back. You know, Paul, when he's talking about his ministry... The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, talks about how he shunned not, he did not neglect, he showed forth, he shared the whole counsel of God. He didn't fail to share, to proclaim, to authoritatively teach the whole counsel of God. So, of course, we bring the whole counsel of God. That's everything that God has revealed in his word to bear on these cultural issues. So, there's your culture war if you want to Reclaim what culture warrioring should look like from a Christian perspective. But what I'm calling on you to do, hopefully using scripture and proving from scripture, that that isn't enough. That isn't the command, the commission. That's not. The task that's been given to all human beings, given by God directly in the garden to Adam, and then given by Christ to his disciples and through his disciples to the church in all ages unto the end of the age, unto the end of the world. Which is what? Discipling, teaching, baptizing, nations. So these are all big picture. And of course I'm running out of time and I would encourage you buzzer beater if you can 888-995-5552 that's KKLA on the touchpad that's 5552-888-995-5552 we are still apologetics.com radio show I'm still Deacon Daniel Adrian blessed to be with you and I'm calling on us to be culture makers culture creators to do what God has commanded and so I looked at the big picture with you and what i want to show you briefly is it starts in the home i alluded to this very briefly personalizing my example editorializing in the sense of it's me i'm this is what i have to do as a son as a brother as an uncle uh, as a churchman as a deacon as one who wants to be back in seminary so a prospective seminarian This is what I have to do, but this is what we all have to do. And it's a local level. It's a family level. So let me start with family, and then we'll go to local, and then how that breaks out into the rest of the world. So very briefly, we want to look at the fact that this culture building, this culture creating, this creating a Christian culture starts in the home. And then it's the neighborhood. It's a... it's. Christians living in community together, and they all are doing this in their respective homes. So then it goes from neighborhood to neighborhood, and then from neighborhood to a collection of neighborhoods, which is known as a borough or a parish, depending on where you are in the United States, and then to the county level, which is one level up. And then from the county level to the municipal level, sometimes it's called, like or a, a, a larger, wider area, maybe maybe a regional level. So Southern California, and then a state level. And you, you get the point. And I'm using the U.S. because I'm talking about myself, and I'm talking about you, presuming that most of you are in the United States. And so I'm imploring you to start this in the home. Obey the cultural mandates the creation mandate, the dominion mandate, and the Great Commission, starting as an individual and starting with your family. Because, of course, most of you, God willing, are in families. You're not without relatives entirely. And I pray that for the believers among us, all of us are in Christian families, Christian communities. So do this in the church. Create this culture by God's grace alone, the Lord Jesus Christ being our guide being our being the author of this work in us the finisher of this work in us the one leading us and inspiring us to do this the spirit of god giving us the grace needed equipping us to do it and furnishing these good works by the word of god alone as we talked about these are the things we must do in order to make the world redound to the glory of the lord jesus christ and every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. That's the culture we must build. We love you. I love you. Love the booth. Thank you, booth. Thank you, everyone. Uh, This has been apologetics.com. I've been your host, Deacon Daniel Adrian, branchofhope.org, coming to you from representing Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.